This show is brought to you by Made by Super. Hiring a design studio is more necessary than you think. Your brand is important, and how it's represented shouldn't be phoned in. Whether it's your logo, website, messaging, online ads, environment, graphic design, or social media, you need professionals, thinkers, advocates for your brand, people that will make you look good. It will make a difference. Trust me. Go to madebysuper.com and hire great designers to get to work for you on your brand. Also brought to you by Age Old Trade Design, LA's premier hospitality design firm. Welcome to Acting Real with Kat Foster, where I talk with talented, seasoned, professional actors about how they use what they've learned from acting in their real, everyday lives. Today, we talk to actor and director Josh Baton. You likely recognize Josh from any one of his more than three dozen guest-starring roles on TV, or maybe from one of his appearances in more than a dozen films. He has had major recurring roles in a number of shows, including The Mentalist and Castle, as well as H. HBO's The Night Of and The Pacific. Josh has also an extensive list of credits in the theater for which he has received several Ovation Award nominations. Currently, you can see Josh on the hit CBS All Access show, One Dollar. Enjoy. It is a skeleton, and you have to discover where the bones go. What I need for my life, I am drawn to create the play. And you must use the play. You must use it. Hi. How are you? I'm well. Okay, so can we talk about how we know each other for a second? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. I've Um, to cheat. Okay, so do you want to tell the story? You tell the story. Um, it's a pretty simple story. <laughs> it's a pretty simple story. One of my closest friends who I trained with as an actor, Michael Esper, um, came to Los Angeles for pilot season with two people he was sharing a house with, Jason Pugach and Kat Foster. And yeah. during that pilot season, you booked a pilot then became your first series. That's true. Called Till Death. Mm-hmm. And I was basically Kat's only friend in LA. Yeah. So then I move out to, so I, we all go back to New York. Michael Esper, Jason Pugach, and I all head back to New York after pilot season. And then my show gets picked up. I moved to Los Angeles and like Josh was my main man. Yeah. Like you were like, it, like you were like my, you became like my best friend. I don't know. We had lunch every, every single day. Single day. At Toast. At on Toast. On West 3rd Street. And then <laughs> cut to maybe, like eight months later, I ran my auditions with you for the Pacific. Oh, right. And yes. you turned to me at one point and said, that's it. Stop working on it. You're ready. I did? I said that? Mm-hmm. And then I went in, and then I got a call back, and then I got another call back, and I got another call Oh, my God. Back. I remember we were sitting in your living room at your house on Blackburn. That's exactly right. On and those weird purple had couches incred- I had. It was a monologue. Yeah, it was a joke. It was a joke about why my character joined the Marine Corps. Right. Oh, my gosh. And it was so good. You were so good. Nah. Oh, my God. You're so good. Nah. You're such a good actor. Okay. Um, so that's how we know each other. So, yeah. So we know each other because through Michael Asper, when, when I moved to L.A., we became friends. Um, now, can you talk a little bit about how you became an actor? Um, I can. Uh, I did plays and things like when I was a kid, like school plays and stuff. But it was just fun, and I think I liked the attention. Um, like how, when you were how old? Like fifth grade. Okay. Annie, get your gun. <laughs> but I couldn't sing. 
You so did. I would act the part. And this went all the way through high school. I did Grease in high school playing Duty. And uh, and in all of the musicals I was in, I would act the part. And then they would turn my songs into chorus songs. Really? Every time. Are you kidding? Yeah. Wait, I, do you sing that badly? I think so. Wait, no. We're not going to test that right now. Okay, wait. Who did you play in um, Annie Get Your Gun? I don't know. I was in fifth grade. I was like Annie's manager. I, wish, I, I think his name was Charlie. Okay. And what were your songs? Do you remember? I have zero clues. I have no what idea. What other musicals were you in? Annie Get Your Gun, Greece, South Pacific. So who did you play in South Pacific? I was a pilot. Like, okay. I, I, and then, like you're not playing the leads in musicals, obviously, because you can't. If I'm playing the leads in a musical, there's a problem in whatever that casting pool is. <laughs> <laughs> there's just no reason to do a musical if that's the talent pool you're drawing okay. for. Okay. You know? There was a hip-hop musical. I could kill it. Yeah, sure. Um, right. But the real thing. There that, are hip-hop musicals. There's many of them now. I know, but they still sing in them. That's true. You know what I mean? That's true. They do. Though I'll tell you a funny story. I went to see Hamilton with the original cast, which uh -huh. was really awesome. Thank you. Uh, Zoe Perry for the ticket, and thank you, Zoe Perry. Okay. <laughs> and I, uh, I was in Zoe Perry's going to come do this podcast. Do you hear me, Zoe? You I think must I've come already, do this podcast. We've already, we've already, we've already gone there. Awesome. I'm, I'm sure she'll she'll do it. Yeah. She'll do okay. it. Yeah. And um, I was what they, they you know there's a song called the Ten Dual Commandments, which is a reference to a Biggie Small song, uh, the Ten Crack Commandments, which was one of my favorite songs. I grew up a hip hop kid in Queens. And I'm in the theater, it was like 2,000 people in the theater, and they go, It's the Ten Dual Commandments, what? And really loud, I go, Oh shit! And huh? no one else in the theater <laughs> makes a sound. And I was very embarrassed. Oh my God. Did everyone look at you? Everybody looked at me. Oh my God. There was a pair of grandparents in front of me with their like very excited 14 year old grandson. And they looked at me like, What the fuck is wrong with but you? But that show, that show was like, it lived up to all of its hype. Every bit of it. Like times a billion. Times a billion. I went to high school with Lynn's sister. No way. Mm -hmm. Lou's Miranda. Are you guys still friends? Can like via lose? Facebook. Can she get you more tickets? That's the I question. <laughs> <laughs> no. Lou's? Can I get some um, tickets? No, I've seen that. I've, I'm very fortunate to have seen that. Yeah. But the real thing that got me to be, be an actor is um, when I was in college, I, I was at UMass Amherst. My plan was to be an economics major. Um. And then I wanted to go to law school and be a, a lawyer for the ACLU, like a good liberal Jewish boy from Queens would do. And my parents were divorcing and they couldn't afford school. There's maybe, maybe more details than needed for this. No, I, I, this is all great. And I transferred to SUNY Albany, State University of New York, Albany. And my high school best friend, Danny Panickley, shout out to Danny, mm -hmm. um, was there and we were dorm mates and he convinced me to take an acting class and I really liked it. It was sort of like a, the most intro of acting classes they had at school. I went, I did that and then I took a- Sorry, this is at U of M? Is that no, said? SUNY Albany. Oh, SUNY Albany. Yeah, okay. yeah. And so I, um, I took a second class with a teacher named Bill Leone and this was sort of the first real dive into acting I think I'd ever, i definitely ever done. And Bill, in the, I don't know where we were, a couple months into class, we, you know those contentless scenes 
where it's like yeah. A B O yeah. hi. How it's are you? you? Good. Oh, where hi. were you? I need Out. some food. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to memorize those. Yeah. And then come in and he paired us up with people. Just so you know, those are scenes where like the dialogue is written out, but there's no obvious intention behind the words. Like, because right. this is not just a show for actors. I think I say this once an episode. This is really my aim is for this to be a show that is really appealing and interesting and useful for non-actors. Um, because I think that a lot of the stuff we learn as actors is really is really useful for everyone in, I agree. in the world. So that's, someone who teaches that's acting really, class. Right? Exactly. I mean, so they call them contentless scenes because there's right. no content. It's just dialogue. There's no before and after. It's just like a basic right. interaction. And so I had memorized the lines and I raised my hand to go and this girl raised her hand to go named Kimberly Sidden who I completely and utterly had a crush on. Uh-huh. And... The circumstance he gave us was that uh, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Last night around midnight, we got into a huge fight. I left. I, I left the apartment. And it was 8 a.m. 8 in the morning. And we could choose whatever we wanted to have happened in between what we wanted. Uh, I was, you know, probably like I was at that time in my life, just really angry. <laughs> and I walked in. We went through the lines. Oh, hi, it's you. Yeah, where were you? Out. Where? I said out. And then I just kind of like bulldozed past her and went out the back door of the class and slammed it <laughs> uh-huh. i came back in and bill was talking to kim and he said did you get what you wanted and she was like no and he said we'll do it again and get what you wanted so i came in again really angry and she looked at me with these like big sweet kind of hurt eyes and i don't know what happened we got to the end of the dialogue and bill whispered to us to keep going And the next thing I know, she was sitting on my lap. I was apologizing. She was like, like, you know, like holding my face. And we were just about to kiss. And the class started applauding. And I straight up woke the fuck up. I had no idea where I was. I don't really remember what I said. I was just in the moment for the first time in my life. It was the first moment I'd ever experienced and I was lost. I All other plans were gone. Wow. That was it. I was a college baseball player. I was in my second year playing ball and I, uh, in my, after my sophomore year, I quit the baseball team so that I could do the Shakespeare play because that all of a sudden was... So, okay, so you did all you did some show because you were like good at it when you were a kid and like people liked watching you and people said you were good and it was fun, but it was just fun and you totally liked fun. the attention. And then this is so, but this is like the first your first transition into like being an actor in real life where it yes. was like, oh, this is something that like feels profound to me or like absolutely like and so can you describe like what was it about being in the moment that you think changed your life (laughs) like yeah um because when you told that story i like i got chills like it's such it's an amazing story really and do you know what do you did you have a consciousness at the time that like this really profound thing had happened had you ever considered until that moment being a professional actor no (laughs) funny story when i was four or five my father was an amateur photographer in new york and he took a photograph of me that one uh this amateur competition in the New York Daily News and his name was in the paper and it was really exciting and my parents got approached by agents maybe I was seven six something like that about wanting to represent this kid from the picture I guess that's what they do they just look for 
faces. And I had just seen Kramer versus Kramer. And the little kid in that movie is unbelievably good. But as a little kid, my real thought was, I could do that. And so my huh. parents had a conversation in the living room of our house about whether they were going to let me be an actor or not. And I remember coming downstairs to lobby for the yes. But they both worked, and they were like, who's going to take them to auditions? I think my mom said something about, I think it's tough to be a child actor. I think it'd be tough on him. So as a little, little, little kid, I wanted to do it as a little kid. I used to, at least three times, at least, I would try to run away uh, from my house or once try to run away from my parents in Israel. And every time they asked me where I was going, I said, California. <laughs> How did you know that that's where acting happened? I don't know. TV, maybe. I don't know. Like, I, did you say, but well, you didn't even say Hollywood. No, <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm going to California. Literally in Israel at a public <laughs> pool. They couldn't find me. They were terrified. And my father ran outside and he said about like a quarter mile down the road, there's this little thing just bobbing and he screams, Josh, where are you going? <laughs> and I go, California. And they just turned around and kept walking. <laughs> So geography was not really a, a really good subject. That's hilarious. Um, but when it happened, it it felt, I think, like the most pure, unfiltered human contact I'd ever had. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think I, it felt, you know, people talk about you got bit by the bug. It felt like taking the hit of a drug mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. That feeling where I could say exactly what I felt and and was just met with what felt like absolute truth was addictive for me, for sure. And then, you know, I still got my degree in sociology. Um, Wait, sorry. I, let me just interrupt you really quickly. What do you, what is it, um, do you just think like y you just were a natural do you think there was something that primed you to have that experience in that moment right because like mm. you're an acting teacher i've been acting for, we've been both been acting for a while like that's like that doesn't happen all the time that you no. like completely lose yourself it doesn't happen in every single take you do it doesn't happen every single time you're on stage and certainly it's something that people you know they they aspire to yeah um but you just like your first scene in this random like college acting class and suddenly you were really transported was that just like beginner's luck or do you feel like there was something in your consciousness that allowed allowed for that experience that's a really interesting question my first thought is you were talking i think it's is it the alchemist Mm -hmm. where he talks about beginner's luck and beginner's mm. luck is the universe's yeah. way of saying this is what you should do. Mm. Um, I I will say as someone who teaches acting, my really the first thought I had when you started the question in terms of having anything primed for it is uh, I find that a lot of people who are artists, actors, painters, dancers, writers often come from trauma or mm. there's trauma in their past. Not always, but often, mm -hmm. whether it's family, trauma, dysfunction, things like that. Because mm -hmm. I think what happens is when you get cracked open at a young age, there can be a propensity for deeper feelings. Not that everyone doesn't have deep feelings, but mm -hmm. there becomes sometimes more sensitivity to things. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was training as an actor, I got my MFA, you know this, at Rutgers, um, I got a summer job at Banana Republic <laughs> at the Menlo Park Mall 
in New Brunswick, New Jersey. <laughs> and um, when I was in grad school, I used to wonder if I would, this is going to, I don't know what this is going to sound like. Like, am I too normal? Everybody seems so mm. interesting to me in my classes, my classmates, the people the years ahead of me. And what, sorry, in what way did they seem more interesting? Than they you? seemed eccentric and, and, um, and, uh, wild or, you know, this will lead me to a different thing. Okay, yeah. But just quick to finish the thought was when I started working in Banana Republic, mm -hmm. everybody I worked with were like, you're so goofy. Mm. You talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. You could just talk to anybody. And I realized that in a kind of, you know, regular world, I seemed kind of eccentric or mm. weird or, mm. or hopefully charming or something. Mm -hmm. um, so was that like a pivotal realization in your path? Well, it's one that I don't think I really hit till much later. Um, and the realization was this is one of those things when I looked at those people they were so interesting to me, you know, I could watch them like stand and smoke a cigarette and I would watch that on stage and think that is so interesting, mm. but I would never think it about myself. Mm. And one of the things I had to kind of come to, and I say it a lot to my students, my mentor, my mentors say to their students is that you have to understand that you are enough and that you are inherently interesting and different than anyone else. All of us are. And in that you can kind of that's where you can sit in moments and have simplicity in your work you know the Sanford Meisner and William Esper you know that's the lineage of this work that I come from as an actor those are my my teachers um well Sanford Meisner was not my teacher he trained William Esper and William Esper, Esper kind of took over the mantle of that work uh you know they would say it takes 20 years to become a great actor so relax and the point of it was that it takes somewhere up to t around 20 years where you stop caring about what everyone else thinks and mm. start hopefully valuing just your own feet on the ground, you know? So, but how long, so, okay, so. We've, tr we've probably tangented. No, no, this that. is not a tangent. This is exactly the stuff I want to talk about. Okay, cool. So like, cause here's my curiosity, like, um, um, so, you know, just like in acting like in any career like we kind of start maybe because we're good at something right mm -hmm. um and then maybe we ha we're lucky enough to have like sort of an aha moment or like a to quote oprah winfrey <laughs> right that's oprah is it an i don't aha know moment. Yeah, let's, I think let's, sure i feel like um, that an aha moment's been around a long time <laughs> no that's oprah really right? that's Oprah, you guys wow our producers agree that's oprah oprah's changed the world in more ways than i even knew yeah oprah coined the phrase aha, aha moment, moment i'm pretty sure um so you have like you know you have a moment where you're like yep this this is sort of this i'm now affirmed that this is what i'm supposed to be doing and then eventually you know if we're lucky my thought is that we that the original reason that we sort of got into whatever we're doing um, that we can sort of transcend that original reason and something new becomes apparent that there's like mm. some, some purpose that then, um, becomes the wind beneath our wings. That's whoever wrote beaches. No, yeah. that's whoever wrote no, that song. Sang, well, well, she sang it. Okay. So anyway, right? <laughs> she's saying it. Yeah. Um, but and so, I so I guess my question is like, so did you, do you, was do you was it in that class with Bill with William Esper or no wait 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so, so that first moment was with a teacher named Bill Leon. My, the two mentors I've had are both named Bill. Bill. No, but, but what about the second, like yes. the, the URNF that moment? That took me, I think many, 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 many years to, to really embrace like a long time. Mm -hmm. I think that the first moment that I had that I was talking about earlier was my aha moment. Right. And then, and then I kind of had a string of, you know, like collegiate successes. Right. I did all the plays uh -huh. and I auditioned for graduate school and I got into Rutgers, which I think at the time was ranked like fourth or fifth or sixth in the country. Uh -huh. And I started training with, with Bill Esper and in the first year of the work, a woman named Maggie Flanagan. And there, that experience kept getting reaffirmed. This idea of being in the moment, this idea of being... Uh, open and available to circumstances and also not having to apologize for how you feel. Mm -hmm. That was big for me. Mm -hmm. I think I grew up, you know, there was some definitely difficult stuff in my childhood and I was a really sensitive kid and I grew mm -hmm. up in Queens in like a fucking like neighborhood, you mm -hmm. know, and being sensitive was not okay. Mm -hmm. So can you talk, can you talk about like, because I think this is something that is obviously pretty uh, I mean, I think for a lot of people, especially men, I think this is pretty common, this message that it's, you got to be tough. Yeah. Um, and can you just talk a little bit about how you overcame that? Like, yeah. Like, um, and, and how you, not only how you overcame that historically, but also how you overcome that daily. I mean, is, and is that something that you find that you are still working on? Um, I think that, uh, Bill and Maggie at Rutgers, um, Bill Esper, uh, they helped me overcome that. They used to say a lot of the times when we were doing the work, if someone wasn't going there and by going there, like really opening themselves up to the circumstances of something mm -hmm. or open themselves up to, you know, if you and I are playing brother and sister and you do something that really hurts my feelings, if I don't allow that to happen. A lot of times they would say things like, where's the bravery in your mm. work? And they started to redefine what being brave, what being strong meant mm. for them. And for me, it meant being open and honest. Mm. It meant risking someone breaking your heart or something hurting you or being judged. Mm -hmm. And And it's definitely something that I say when I teach. Mm. I'll say, you know. Where's the bravery in that? Where's where's the daring to to open yourself up to that? Because to me, I think that that is a more masculine ideal. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't easy in every element of my life. I definitely, when I got out of school, you know, after graduate school, I was surrounded by a lot of other actors, a lot of other people who kind of embraced that, mm -hmm. um, and. And that was super helpful mm -hmm. for me to be in that. Um, right. Because outside of this culture, like in the, in like, in quote unquote society or whatever, it's this bravery is not necessarily, um, well, bravery is encouraged, but this sense of the, this meaning of the word bravery is not necessarily like in, in some ways, like the way that we think of bravery is the opposite of 100%. what you're describing, right? Yeah, and I think I struggled with my whole life. You know, I mean, there are parts of me. I mean, I am a kid from Queens. You know what I mean? There are, like, I was a baseball player. I played football in high school. You know, I have, you know, more, like, standard, traditional, masculine 
traits for sure. Um, but I realized how deep it went when I was talking with some friends and talking about the fact that, you know, to work out, one of the things I do is box. Um, I rebuilt my own kitchen, you know, mm. and I can break shit and then rebuild it. All masculine things. My friends and I have climbed a few mountains. And I realized I love doing those things, but there was also a part of me that was doing it because somewhere inside I was trying to prove to the world that I was a man. Mm. And somewhere over the last few years, I would say, I don't know when, maybe four years ago, maybe six, maybe some transitional period like that, I became more and more comfortable with the fact that uh, this is just the man I am mm. and that that's okay. Mm. That if I'm dating someone and I feel sensitive about something, there was a time in my life where I'd be like, I, could, I would literally use the language of my neighborhood. Stop being a pussy. Stop acting like a bitch. You know, I would think it in my head. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, nah, that hurt my feelings. Mm. Or, hmm, this is uncomfortable for me. And so how did you do that? Like, how did, here's what I really want to know. I want to know, like, like, do you think it's like your experience as an actor that taught you the value of that kind of bravery that then helped you in your life own your feelings? And if you do think that, like, how can how can other people do that like how can other people who have had trauma in their lives who have a a great Mm -hmm. a a, a lot of sensitivity how can people who have never learned that bravery actually means opening yourself how can how can they do that so that so that they can also own their feelings when they're dating a bunch of mean girls (laughs) (laughs) cat has points of view of some of the women i've dated um uh some of it was definitely the acting work it got me deep deeply rooted in what those feelings are and what had meaning for me for sure in terms of uh and and so in that i was given a gift i was Mm -hmm. given a gift by my fellow actors definitely by my teachers um and and also i think i had an inherent need for that kind of uh, expression Mm -hmm. uh so that all lined up getting to a point of it in my life though was a combination of two things to be really honest and as a kid from queens this is not the easiest thing for me to admit on a podcast. Mm-hmm. One was therapy. Mm-hmm. And you were literally with me when I called. I'm getting a little emotional thinking about <laughs> I love you. you being there with me for this. Um, I had gone through a very bad breakup. And Kat and I were like bad. Like the kind of breakup that if it was in a movie, people would be like, come on. That doesn't fucking happen. Yeah. <laughs> and I called Kat. And in the middle of the afternoon... I was walking around her neighborhood with a cigarette in my hand. I don't smoke. Uh-huh. And like four fingers of Jack Daniels that Kat had poured for me. And I smoked and drank. I I, I mean, I, I was doing both of those things at the time. I drink on occasion, you know. Yeah, sure, but sure. but I, um, I, um, I called a therapist that, was, that a friend of mine was seeing. Um, someone who's a pretty tough dude, actor as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so that started that path. The other thing that really, really, really solidified that path for me was that I started going to and seriously going to Al-Anon meetings, which mm-hmm. are, which for those who don't know, is a 12-step program, much like AA, but it's for family members of drug addicts and alcoholics, because a lot of people who grew up with that stuff get really similar isms. Mm-hmm. Um, they try to fix everything, or mm-hmm. you know, they feel too sensitive for the world, or 
they don't trust anyone or whatever. And in that work, I sat in rooms with people in LA, in New York, in Pittsburgh, where I just worked, in Sydney, Australia, when I was there. Um, I sat in, you sit in rooms with people you share things with as a history, and then they share about their, as they say, their experience, strength, and hope. And just with no dues or fees, people show up every week or a few times a week, their meetings all over the place to try and help each other move past those things mm. and through them. And that work uh, and working with my my therapist um, and, and being an actor and being around a community of people who valued being open, I think is what really kind of allowed me to settle into being the person I am, for sure. So, I mean, to be a little reductive, like essentially you've really just, you've, you've worked every day to uncover what you're really feeling and yeah. to, and, and you've worked every day to figure out the best way of expressing, to, to express those feelings. And also how to right size them. Like I had mm. a little, a little thing the other day, nothing big. I knew it was nothing big, yeah. but I was talking to uh, I was actually talking to my sponsor from Al-Anon, and he said, it sounds like you're smarting from this, like it stings a little bit. And I said, yeah, I know it's not a big deal. He goes, oh, I know, but you're, but it, but it stings a little bit. I said, yeah. He said, you might want to invite those feelings in for a cup of coffee. Yeah. And he said, just sit with them. He said, don't let them sign a one-year lease. Don't make <laughs> them your roommate. You know, and that became big too, because I think a lot, one of the things that happened when I started acting with this freedom to feel I had years and years of anger and pain and whatever. And I was like, yeah, fuck, yeah, let's feel this. But it, but in my life, I didn't know how to maneuver it on right. a page in a script. This scene was what the scene was. I was like, oh, my wife dies in this scene. Mm. Oh, I get to go there. Right. But in my life, you know, real life circumstances continue. Right. And so learning to balance those. Uh, was helpful and to be honest I think learning to balance them made me a better actor because it, when I go into the arena to really do the work I can be free knowing when this is over it's over right and my subconscious is now trained enough to go we're safe to do this and so what are the benefits um, in real life of that kind of bravery I mean I guess does it make you feel more free to be able to to express your your feelings i mean like what does it, i mean it probably i would imagine like it makes you less anxious like it can and also you know look one thing i had to learn through all this was who it's safe to be that open with and who it's not mm -hmm. i mean honestly you know i'm not saying this because i'm sitting opposite you i can say and be anything in front of you always knew that that's why we're so close so fast um that's but, true <laughs> it, i feel it, the same way i know you do. <laughs> <laughs> but like i think that um it's a it's a richer life you know, I, there's a there's a social scientist named Brene Brown. You ever read any of her books? Of course, books? yeah. Yeah, she's dope as fuck. Dare, dare, dare to be great? No. I don't I never read her books. Oh, you haven't? I, oh, listened, just seen her TED I listened to two of her TED Talks, yeah, one yeah. on vulnerability and one on shame. shame yeah. and, she, and they fucked me up. In like the best, <laughs> they did. I make my students listen to them now yeah. or, or watch them. And she was, uh, she was talking about vulnerability and she's from Texas. And she said this thing I'll never forget. She said, my family is from Texas and our family motto is load and lock. Mm -hmm. And I sought out to study vulnerability with the hope that I would find that vulnerability was bad and you should make sure that you're protected and you're good to go. And what I found was the opposite, that the level of vulnerability you can feel, the depth of it, directly reflects on the other side how much happiness you can experience. Mm. 
And I completely agree with that. Um, and so the idea of being able to live through what's happening in any way, shape, or form hmm. without judgment and being able to move through it and not and have it not dominate my life, mm-hmm. I think has my experiences has set up a life where I have experiences that are that feel super rich. And as an actor, what's so amazing, before I'd found that in my life and knew who was safe or not, at least on stage or on or on set, it was not just okay for me to live through those things. Mm-hmm. It was lauded. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I would live through a scene that had really high stakes and people would go, how right. do you do that? Yeah, it's really tricky because like, again, like this isn't, I mean, this is a podcast about acting and it's not a podcast about acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very fortunate to have jobs that, um, n- n- you know, not only encourage our vulnerability, but also really like necessitate our vulnerability. Totally. Um, but like no other jobs do. I mean, arguably, right? Like, oh, I mean... I mean, I think like you and I might both posit that like just to be alive, right? Like Brene Brown, like you're going to be better at every job if you can be vulnerable. Totally. Um, but there are a lot of jobs in the world where they're not like, all right, now clock in and open your heart. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it's not really yeah. like that. You're so a special forces guy opening your heart up to your experiences. Right. And yet like, and I was just listening actually to this um I was listening to this other podcast. Oh, what podcast was it? Oh, it was Invisibilia, and they were talking about all these like um, p- workers in the, in oil fields who had to learn how to be vulnerable because it actually made them more resistant to injury. Mm. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, anyway, that's like a, sort of a tangent. But the but my question is like. For people who, you know, so you study, right? Like that's part of your training, how to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that benefits you in your life because you can be happier, like Brene Brown posits. Yeah. So like how how does somebody who's never trained in being vulnerable, who like literally like, like, I mean, you know, you say be vulnerable, like in some, a lot of people might be like, okay, like I don't even know what that means. Totally. I mean, I think one of it is, is that I think there are, there are. Like, there how are, do you open your heart? You know, other art. Like other when art, I'm, yeah. Like when I'm, pre- when I'm prepping for a role, I have playlists of music that uh, get me in certain moods. Or feel like the vibe of a character, you know, like I did a Mice and Men. I think you saw me do that play. Yeah. And, you know, I had a playlist that had a lot of Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and, you know, but also I have playlists on my on my Spotify that are like, you know, hyped, mm-hmm. angry, mm-hmm. pain, you know, music that opens me up. Same thing with uh, watching films. You know, I think people pay to watch actors do what they do because they get to live vicariously through those experiences. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, they can be moved to tears or great laughter or joy or Mm -hmm. whatever because of that work. And I think in those moments, whether people are aware of it or not, and most people probably are, but some people aren't, that is moments of vulnerability. They're open. Like vulnerability doesn't just mean crying and pain. Vulnerability is being able to really experience joy in something. Okay, but like what would you advise? Like, yes, I agree with everything that you said. And I think that that is a huge, you know, 
something that's one of the reasons that why why art is so important is that yeah. it can help people have some really cathartic experiences totally but like what would you say to someone who's like okay like i like i'm at work and like you know the person that i'm partnering with on this one project is totally incompetent and my boss um is like taking it out on both of us and it's like but it's like not even me and like also like you know now the environment at work is really tricky and my partner thinks that she's totally like she has it all together but she like obviously doesn't and like i really need to do well in this assignment so i get promoted like how do you like how would you take what you know about opening your heart and like advise this person like how 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 can this person um right size her his feelings and and one i don't know if i really have the answer i have my thoughts you yeah. know um one is but this happens a lot when I, with the work that i teach because i teach this technique of acting called the meisner technique which is really rooted in really listening and openly responding to someone else mm -hmm. and as the work goes it really gets you open and available mm -hmm. and i remember a student of mine was working at the apple store and he came into class really excited and i was like what's up brian was his name and it probably still is his name <laughs> uh, i was like what's up brian and he goes um man my manager pissed me off today and I just fucking told him how I felt. And I went, whoa, 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 Brian, Brian, you need that job. You need that job to pay for this acting class. You can't just go and get your shit fired because you're going to fire off how you feel in the moment. Yeah. That's not the place. Yeah. So one of the things that I think becomes important is if you know how you're feeling, you know, one, there are ways to deal with it on your own. Uh, I think pen to paper, not typing, mm -hmm. not thinking about it, but mm -hmm. actually writing down how you feel. Mm -hmm. um, taking a pause after you've done that mm -hmm. so that you don't react and respond in the moment because a lot of times those feelings pass. Mm -hmm. um, and then finding who the safe people are to discuss it with. It's why mm -hmm. people have best friends. Mm -hmm. They have that one or two or if they're lucky, five mm -hmm. close confidants in their life. Um, and then I think finding a safe way for expression. I mean, look, when I'm having a rough day, sometimes going into a boxing gym and punching shit hard mm -hmm. is really helpful. Right. I find it really helpful to do yoga now. Mm -hmm. My mm -hmm. brother, my fucking tough guy brother talks like this, mm -hmm. does yoga five days a week, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. I find, uh, you know, in the right venue, if I'm gonna, having a rough time, I'll put on some music that I really love, you know, dance like a lunatic in my mm -hmm. in my house when no one's watching. Mm -hmm. um, so in a situation like that, like the one you that you put forth, you know, I don't think you can to confront that person. I don't know if that's safe vulnerability or to confront your boss. Mm -hmm. Being able to stand up for yourself in in a smart, articulate way is always good. But but you know th those situations are super nuanced, obviously and specific. Um, but I think one of them is just being able to first figure out how you feel, mm -hmm. and then allowing yourself to be okay with it. You know they and that you might you might figure out how you feel by like journaling, by journaling, by going on a run and thinking about it. Right. Um, but you know a lot of times what would happen to me is I would know how I feel, right? I would have awareness. Mm -hmm. they, some people call this the three A's: awareness acceptance and action mm -hmm. now i had no acceptance i was awareness action guy i'd be like oh i'm angry mm. i gotta do this mm. i'm sad i gotta do this mm. um i'm this i gotta do this mm -hmm. 
But what has become super important to me in my life is the middle. Okay, because what happens when you accept? Can you describe, like, can you just, like, dig into, it? like, you go, oh, I'm angry. You have the awareness, right? Yeah, all right. I have an example. I have an acting example. And so what, but what happens to the anger when you accept it? This is my question. All right, so this happened to me on a job I did very recently. And I got, we got the new script for one of the episodes. And in this particular script, I had very little to do. And just not a lot, you know? I wasn't mm -hmm. in it. I wasn't really part of the storyline through that script. But I was hurt. Sorry, the job that you just did is... It's uh, called $1. $1, CBS All Access. Yes. Really dope show. You were just in Pittsburgh for like... Seven months. Hella long. Yeah, I'm rocking my um, Stronger Than Hate Pittsburgh t-shirt. That benefits um, um, all the, the synagogue that just the, got... Yeah, Temple of Life synagogue shows. survivors. So terrible. Steel okay. City. That's who sells it. Um, Shop Steel City. I think it's at Shop Steel City. It's a dope t-shirt and uh, it's an amazing cause. So I was really upset mm -hmm. um, because the little boy in me, to be really honest, was like, here I am. This is my shot and I'm not in this episode too much. And, and so in the past, what I would have done was berated myself for feeling that way. Uh, try to stop myself from feeling that way. Tell myself how ungrateful I was being. Um, and then maybe try to formulate a plan of how I could be in the episode more. Mm. Instead, I called up someone who I was really close with, mm -hmm. who I knew was a safe person to talk to, express mm -hmm. how I felt. She was like, yeah, I get that. I would feel that way too. Mm -hmm. I sat with it for like, I don't know, it's probably like, 12 hours, 18 hours, like I went to sleep, woke up the next day, was still feel con kind of bummed, took my dog on a long walk, wrote about it. And at one point, my writing, I realized after when I looked back, looked like a seven-year-old angrily mm. scratching words, mm -hmm. which was really interesting and shocking to me. And then because I sat with it, I just hit a moment that was like, okay, you're sad about this. And then I had a very useful conversation with myself mm. that I was ready for, mm -hmm. which was, you know, man, if you were in LA and you heard about the actor who got this part on $1 that you didn't get and you heard he was upset that he wasn't in one of the episodes enough, you would be like, I would fucking trade places with him in a fucking second. Mm. Now, in the past, I would have gone from, oh, God, I'm upset to try and have that thought mm. and I would try to force it in Mm -hmm. And then those those feelings, which had nothing to do with not being in the episode enough for mm -hmm. me, my mm -hmm. knowledge of myself, those are about acceptance when I was a kid. Those mm -hmm. are about things that really hurt me when I was young and not being heard or not being taken seriously or mm -hmm. being under threat. Those shit, that shit comes up for me. Um, I was I was able now to have sat with it and gone, okay, yeah, that is the real perspective here and show up for work excited and happy to be part of it and interestingly enough i wound up getting put into other scenes in that episode um because the director was like i think he should just be here for this moment that's great you know which was cool but i didn't need it at that point and when it happened then i was nothing but happy and gracious like having gratitude about it okay so let me just like uh let me just track it so you 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 got the script you saw the script you felt anger Anger, fear, you sat sadness. with it, okay. And then the did the ang the anger kind of it sounds like turned more into sadness as mm -hmm. you sat with it. And then there was a moment of acceptance. Mm -hmm. It maybe like at some point when you realized the perspective that you might have had had you not gotten this job. 
Totally. And and then it turned into gratitude. Yeah, I guess so. I think that's about right. I don't know if it started with anger for me. I think it really started with, see, uh, man. Mm-hmm. And it was really like hopelessness. Because mm. now I was afraid that that was what was going to happen for the rest of the episode. Do you think the hopelessness then became anger and then became sadness and then? Yeah, but the anger for me oftentimes is at me. By the way, the reason I'm asking this stuff is because I just think it's really interesting how feelings change. Um, and how when you sit with feelings, when you when we when we sit with feelings, when we can accept feelings, um, the feelings move. Yeah, my brother, you know, my brother um, is 22 years clean from heroin, uh, which is one of the greatest accomplishments I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. My brother told me when he was in rehab, and this may sound contrary to what Kat's saying, but I think it's, it's exactly the same for what they used it for. Mm-hmm. They would say to them in rehab, my brother was like in, in a super intense rehab. It was 19 months. You know, he couldn't write a letter till he got privileges. He couldn't he couldn't make a phone call or receive them until he earned the privilege. It was He was in with hardcore people mm-hmm. who were court mandated. And they would say to them, fuck your feelings. Fuck your feelings. Your feelings pass. pass. Mm-hmm. Now, not in that they weren't saying forget your feelings. Mm-hmm. Don't allow them. But from what my brother would say to me is like, you know, as a fucking junkie, if I was upset, I'd be like, I guess I should get high because mm-hmm. I'm upset. Mm-hmm. If I'm angry, I should get high. What they were trying to tell them was like, you feel these feelings, they're going to go away. Feelings aren't facts. They're just feelings. Right. And if you allow yourself to sit with them, they can transform. I mean, that moment of realizing in the end, like, you know what? I'm here in Pittsburgh, this amazing city with this amazing cast, with a director who's the most playful director I've ever worked with, mm-hmm. loving my job. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'm not in this episode so much. Maybe I could have the perspective of like, well, I'm getting paid my episodic fee mm-hmm. for what will amount to like two days of work for this episode. Right. That you can, that here's the thing. So because feelings are, aren't facts, right? Because in another way of saying that might be, be feelings just don't mean that much. Mm-hmm. We get to, because inherently or innately feelings, <laughs> feelings that are born mm-hmm. innately don't mean that much. We get to create whatever meaning we want. Yeah, and it's about perspective, you know. I um, like we, but we get to design our perspective. Our feelings don't necess- necessitate our perspective. Yeah, there are things that are choices, you know. I, I I've talked about this before. Um, one of my good friends and your good friend, John Bernthal, who's a fantastic mm-hmm. actor, who's coming on, who's coming on this podcast, and when he's available in yep. December. And one of my best friends in the world. About two years ago now, or yeah, I guess it's about two years ago. Um, I was in New York. He was in New York. Uh, he's working a lot, and we don't get to see each other too much. And we had dinner. Um, we took a long walk from Madison Park and Twenty Third Madison mm-hmm. down to the East Village. We went down to Seventh and C to this great little restaurant, like teeny little spot. Sat in a corner and talked for hours. And I had told him at that point in my career, I had done something like I don't know, thirty five guest stars on TV. And him mm-hmm. and I had done the Pacific together, and I had done the Night of. But I'd never been what's considered a series regular where I was in every episode of a show under contract. And I really had this perspective that I had failed. Mm. I'd never been on Broadway, which is one of the things to me that's like a crowning achievement. And I'd never been a series regular or have like a major movie career. But I was a working actor. And I teach acting classes, my own little school. And I've got 
three classes. I've got like 45 students. It's relatively successful. I mean, mm-hmm. I own a home. Let's, you know? let's promote your school. What's your what's your acting school called? I don't even know this. It this doesn't, is have, just, an, it doesn't have a name. Why don't you have I the Josh Baton acting school? I don't know. I don't. Have, there's no way to like. It's just word of mouth. It's literally word of mouth. Wow, that's so cool. And your classes just continually fill up. Continually. I don't know how it happens. Thank you to those people who come to my class. Um, but I was I was I was working my Alan on stuff, my steps, and I took a look at my life. And one of the things that I realized was that I had built a negative perspective of the way my life was. And I know why, because of what I grew up with. And in some ways, I think subconsciously it was a safer place for me to be. But I What was safer? It was safer for you to be in a place of like everything's undervalued. Fucked. Yeah. Or everything's fucked. I mean, that's what it's gonna be, because that's what I knew. And I knew how to survive that. Right. You know, I was oddly less scary, mm-hmm. I think. You know, mm-hmm. there's probably more, there's definitely more depth and nuance to that. Uh-huh. But anyway, I, I made this choice uh, to be happier about my life. To just literally go, you know what? It's not, ah, oh, fuck, I've done 30 whatever guest stars. I'm never going to make it. It's like, I've done 30 something fucking guest stars. You know, I work a lot. And I sat down with John and I was telling him about this new perspective. And there he is working and he's the punisher. And John's like, you know, man, the job is never the thing that has made me happy. Mm. You know, because relationships are, my family is sometimes the work, but it's not the job per se. And, and I said, yeah, I'm starting to realize that. And he said to me, man, you're one of the best guys I know, like in my life. And one of the best actors I've ever known, which is a hell of a compliment from someone like John. And, uh, and, and he said, so the fact that you've come to that perspective really makes me feel happy because it's how we all see you. Hmm. And it was big. Yeah. It was big for me, you know, um, because he's someone who I trust and someone who I value, much like you. And that, and then a couple months later, I'm testing for one of the leads in $1. Wait, can you hold on for one second? I just want to, because this is really valuable. So you you were in a conversation that had to do with what were you a success or were you a failure? And John made it a conversation about who you are. Yeah. Which is that you are one of the best guys he knows yeah, that we what, all know. It's what he said. And and so would you do you feel like this, like who we are is sort of an, an antidote, an antidote to the kind of, um, the to the perspective that we're either successes or failures. I think we have. I think that there's. Uh, and how can we exercise that muscle? And I'm. I really. I'm bookmarking this. I want to go back to when you're testing for one dollar. Yeah. So basically, I, I think the thing is, is and, and maybe it's an American thing or a Western culture thing. There's there's a specific way as to how we we uh, judge whether we're valuable or not. A lot of it is about money and how much we make. And how much prestige we have in whatever field we're in. Yet at the same time, I've worked with some really famous people who are super happy. And I've worked with some really famous people who are just not. Really rich people in many different fields who are just not happy. However, we still chase that. We still chase that. And when I took a look at my life, you know, I was like, you know, I somehow was able to scrape together owning a home. I have a remarkable group of friends. I have now an unbelievable relationship with my brother and my father. I've always had a great one with my mom. But like my family is close in a beautiful way. What's not to be, what's not okay? 
And it was really about an idea. So allowing myself to look not outward for feeling okay about myself, but looking outward at what my life really was and who surrounded me and what my day-to-day -day experiences were, that really helped me embrace and start to gain perspective on on what I on how much I really didn't lack. I don't know if that Yeah, no, it does make sense. sense. But also like here's the here's what I'm interested in is that in that moment nothing about your relationships changed. Nothing about your family life changed. Nothing about yeah. your house changed or your career changed, but you just saw it all differently all of a sudden. And it came from me so this is really, really what did it for me. I'm mean, really just because I, this is important, though. It's important to know that you're not saying you're you're happy because your family's this way nope. and your career's this way. You're saying you're happy because now all of a sudden you can see what you have. And the way I came to that was, like, honestly, the twelve steps of that program have really, really changed my life profoundly. Mm -hmm. I came to realize that there were certain things I had no control over, and by releasing control of them. In trying to control them, there was freedom. It wasn't, they talk about it as powerlessness, and some people don't like that word, except for me. It's like, you know what? I'm powerless over that, so fuck it. I'm Give like, an example. You're powerless over what? Other people's actions, other people's feelings, mm -hmm. what people think of me. I'm mm -hmm. powerless over that. What I have power over is my own actions and what I do in life. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then I took this inventory where you do an, an honest moral inventory of your life, your defects, what you do wrong, what you're not proud of, your positives and your strengths, your resentments. And then when you find out your resentments of people you're resentful for, my part in those resentments, like one of my small resentments was my older brother calls me every day between like 8.08 and 8.23 in the morning. <laughs> and I teach class at night. So at 8.08 in the morning, I'm asleep. Right. And he will call me and he'll be like, yo, what's up? And I'll be like, uh, nothing. He's like, what you doing? I'll be like, lying in bed, Mike. Cool, cool. What else? What else? And I'll be like, <laughs> that's it. He'll go, okay, fuck you then. And I'll hang up the phone. And I'll have a resentment, <laughs> right? Reasonable. That's a reasonable resentment. Except what do I do? <laughs> I answer the fucking phone. That's true. I don't put my shit on airplane mode so I can sleep more. Yeah. I answer the phone. <laughs> and then one day after having that realization, I said to my brother, he's like, you know, so he called some friends like they never answer my calls. Like, well, Mike, you call every day in the morning. And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, you can miss those fucking calls when they're gone. Oh, no. And when he said it, I felt this giant lump in my throat go. Aww. And I was like, I would miss those calls when they were gone. Mm. So by taking an inventory, whether you do it through a 12 step program or just decide to do it yourself. Wait, so did you turn it on on airplane mode or no? No, now when he gets it, my brother and I now when we talk on the phone, we talk like friends. We have real conversations like about how his night was at work and how my class was and and some girl he's dating. But are those conversations at 8.08 in the morning? Sometimes and sometimes I don't answer that phone. Okay, right. So 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 there's no rule. It's not like all your brother says you're going to miss those calls one day and all of a sudden now you always answer the no. calls. Different days are different ways. At, all day. All that, day is different. Every all, day, every day is different. Every is, moment is different. That's right. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and then by like to making really, I wrote these things down, pen and paper. It took me months. This and, inventory. That's yes. What and sometimes yeah. I would write every day, and sometimes I would like not for ten days because it felt too intense. Right. But then I sat down, and then I shared it with my sponsor. That's kind of the way the program works. Yeah. You share it with another person. Yeah. And I all now I was able to actually see. 
I should say too that I'm also in Al-Anon, but I I have not I have not done um my deepest work on the steps like Josh has. I I, I was in Al-Anon for years without doing that work. Yeah. And that's okay. It was you know you work anything like this, whether it's a twelve step program, whether it's therapy, whether it's some kind of group or whatever, you work it as it works for you mm-hmm. and what you're ready for. But all of a sudden, I was looking at it, mm-hmm. and I could see very specific patterns of my own behavior and my own part in them. And then I had to get right with the idea of letting that go, like actually letting what they call character defects go. And that may sound like a simple thing, like of course I'm gonna let it go, except they've worked for me. I'm familiar with them. I can, you know, as a kid, I could get my dad to feel sorry for me if I used one of them or whatever, which maybe would quell some of the insanity in the household. But now as an adult, they weren't working for me. Was I really willing to let them go? And I made the choice to do that and to give it all over, you know? And then and then in doing so, that is again, it's most it's all it's like that awareness acceptance action. I got to a point, I never thought of it this way. Wow, that's fucking deep. Way to go, cat yes, fucking foster. Go, go. Is that I that all of that was a mixture of awareness and acceptance of what my entire catalog of behaviors had been my whole life. And then I was ready for the action. Mm. I decided that I was gonna choose to be happier in my life. Mm. And then made that decision. It was really profound. Sat down with my best friends. He said to me, absolutely, with someone who I know loves me and I know supports me, he reaffirmed that idea, which just rooted it stronger for me. And then four months later, I test, or three months later, I test for $1. Interesting fact. I go to Australia to teach an acting workshop for their union, and I'm in Sydney at one of my best friend's houses, my friend Nicole, who you've met, um, uh, another remarkable woman in my mm-hmm. life like you. I'm super lucky to have. And I get a call telling me that I didn't get it. What? Yep. I didn't get the first role I tested I for in this. That. And I looked at my phone. It was a text. And I went, okay. That was a big job. Straight yeah. to series. Big money. Like big, maybe maybe big prestige. Work for seven months. I didn't get it. And I was like, okay. I was bummed. I was bummed. I wasn't destroyed. Mm. I wasn't devastated. I was like, well, all right. I can't control that decision. Mm-hmm. And I went, had a nice day with Nicole. Next day, started teaching my workshop. It went really well for two days. That was a two-day workshop. Spent a few more days. I flew to Melbourne. Saw one of my best friends in the world, Tom Budge. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's one of the best he men in the world. He should be on this show too. Yeah, he's know. in Australia still, but yeah. he might be coming soon. So okay. I will tell him. Great. And And then taught there, came back. Got back, and now I've like let it go. I was like, "Fuck!" I thought that was the thing, but it's not the thing. And like onward and upward, or onward and flatward. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Um, and then I get a call saying, "I think Craig might be writing something for you. He wants you in the show." And now, to be really honest, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I would hinge everything on it, mm-hmm. and then be disappointed. And this time, I was like, "That's really nice. Craig Zobel, this brilliant filmmaker, likes me so much." That in my work so much that in this moment he feels like he wants to write me something that's cool mm-hmm. no hope in it mm-hmm. next thing I know a role's being written I get that definitively then I get a call can you make a tape for it and I was worried about the tape I was like I thought the role's being written for me right. and now my mind because I now know what the role is I can think of five other actors that could definitely play that role really well Right, right. came home from teaching made a tape 
in like 15, 20 minutes with my friend Claire. And she was like, I think it's really good. And I was like, I think that's all I could do with it. And she was like, me too. That was it. 15, 20 minutes. We banged it out. I didn't get too heady about it. I sent it off. Five days later, I'm going to run. Allison Estrin, the casting director of the show, this is not typically how this goes, Yeah. calls me. And she goes, hey, and I'm on a run, so, and I'm like, oh, fuck, it's out. I should take this call because I'm waiting out here if I got the job. And she's like, I got bad news for you. And uh. I went, oh, fuck. Okay. Okay. I didn't get it. Okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. And she goes, no, you're going to have to move to Pittsburgh for at least five months. Oh, my God. And I said, she messed with you. She fucked with me big time. And yeah. I was like, fuck you, Allison. I can't believe it. And she goes, I never get to make this call because her and I are old friends. She's like, She's like, your agent's going to be mad at me for being the one to tell you, but I never get to be the person to tell someone this, and I wanted to tell you myself. Aww. But I wasn't expecting it or needing it. Right, Which right. is crazy if I had talked to myself two and a half years ago mm. and someone told me that you're going to have to get to that for the job to happen. Well, not that they're correlated, mm -hmm. but or you're going to get to that and then the job would happen. I would have been like, fuck you. I'm always going to want this. I'm mm. always going to need this. This is my passion. Mm -hmm. It still is my passion. But I, I, I now have started to believe that I'm good at this regardless. Mm -hmm. I love to do it. And what comes or doesn't come professionally is, is in a lot of ways, not my business. I do mm. my work. I show up. I leave. I try to be a person of integrity, someone who's cool to work with because I love it when I get to work. Mm -hmm. So this is, I mean, that in itself, it, that, that in itself is, is, a, is craft, right? To be able to, to, to take your need from the work out of the work. Interesting. You asked me earlier if like what first brought me to the work changed mm -hmm. and I would say what first brought me to the work is what I found again was that the love of the moment, the love of being in a moment with somebody or a bunch of people mm -hmm. in the end, that's all that really matters to me. Like that pure human contact, whether on screen, on stage or in life, like talking to you right now, mm -hmm. that's what I value. Mm -hmm. But the business and what success is and what fame is and what money is and all that shit clouded it Cl clouded clouded <laughs> it for many sorry my mom's a school teacher she'd be real <laughs> when she was clouded um but it 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 got clouded mm -hmm. and what i kind of came back to was that i mean you know i once did a play in simsbury connecticut it's in the middle of nowhere for 327 dollars a week doing the last night of ballyhoo and i was the happiest kid in the world i was pretty new out of school I was acting, yeah, and it was great. I lost that, and mm. I found it again um, through all of this. Mm. And so, like, what kind of work does it take now to sustain? To sustain? So you you've had a big. I mean, this is a big year for you. I mean, this is like a banner sort of moment. Like yeah. that story you just told is really like it's a beautiful story, and it's about like a really pivotal moment in your life where you had a huge shift in focus yep. um, you saw your life one way and then you did all of this work you saw your life in another way and then all of a sudden like essentially like everything you'd been working toward came to fruition and yet you perceived it in a totally different way than you ever would have when you had originally conceived of wanting it totally um, so, I mean, you're talking about a shift in consciousness, I guess really. so, yeah. And because the work, what the work would have meant to you pre-program, pre-convo with John Bernthal, pre, 
um, shift in perspective, pre therapy, pre pre all of it, all of it, it now means something totally different. You know, look, I got back to L.A. Right after we wrapped the show, I took an uh, an eight day road trip. I drove to Pittsburgh with my dog Mickey Ward, my seventy two <laughs> pound pit bull, and we did a road trip coming back. Spent two days in Chicago. Saw a play at Steppenwolf that my buddy was in. Saw my buddy John Sato, who's one of my close close friends, who I never get to see. Drove through to Colorado, spent Fort Collins, a couple days in Durango, went to the Grand Canyon. And it was a great, unbelievable trip, just me and my dog, or yeah. my dog and I. Mom, sorry. Yeah. And, uh, and then I got back to L.A., and I think I was in L.A. four days, maybe five, where I got hit with the first feeling of, oh, shit, I'm never going to work again. Yes, yeah, so this is what I'm interested and in. And so here's the thing. So tell me about this. So, so, how, so how do you take this shift in consciousness, and how do you sustain this? Well, now I know... Or do you try? Maybe you don't try. Maybe you just trust that, that it's... It's it's not just trust for me. It's it's acknowledgement of the feeling. Oh, fuck, I'm feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Now I'm able to kind of laugh at it sometimes. Like I called my manager and was like, I'm having them never going to work again. And she goes, I can't believe it took you five days. <laughs> you know? And by and the way, it, just to be really transparent, I called my agent the other day because I've been, I've been not working very much because I had a baby. I was pregnant for a long time and... It's, it's not easy to have a nine pregnant months you're pregnant for it's about that's that's for, how many that's the was, that's the length it was really nine full months so like 10 months yeah, I was yeah pregnant and also you know then i had a baby so now i'm like two months three months into she's having a baby perfect. my perfect she's so perfect. she's perfect um and but i so i called my agent two days ago and i was like um, does anyone care about me? <laughs> like, does anyone still have any idea or care that like I exist? Like, yeah. is that so? The thing is, is I it have, happens, right? We have these feelings course, all it's the a time in battle. But yeah. I have the feeling, but then I'm like, mm, you might need to take Mickey on a walk. You might need to sit down and read a book because that settles me. Mm. Or or uh, go to an Al-Anon meeting or have lunch with a good friend mm. or go do yoga mm. or go running mm-hmm. or or do nothing and feel the feelings for a couple hours. Mm. Now I have a conversation with the feelings. Like my sponsor said, now I let them in and let them sit down for tea. And after the cup of tea, I'm like, okay, cool. That was fun. You should go. And not like get the fuck out, but like I think it's time. So it's like it's like feelings. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Feelings. I know you. That's, I know you. Yeah. People, I know that that feeling that people made it don't that I'll never work again. Yeah. Like let's let's hang out together. Totally. And then you're like you're like are you real? And yeah. Like, you know, nah. I mean you, I'm oh, sneaky. I'm sneaky. I'm sneaky. Exactly. <laughs> I look at you sideways. And also, hey, guess what? I just figured out feeling. You have no power over whether I work or not. Right. That's not what that is. And so we can also like look. So this is something that actors talk about a lot. This like feeling of like, oh, we, you know, we may never work again. Or does anyone care about me still? Or am I going to work? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, this is just like this is the actor's song. But like other songs in the world are like, will she ever call me back? I'm never going to get a girlfriend or I'm never going to get a boyfriend or is he cheating on me mm-hmm. or is she cheating on me or is, um, you know, like, like, am I ever going to get that promotion yep. or, oh my God, I'm going broke again. I'm going to go broke. I'm going to go broke. I'm going to go broke. Like, right. We have all of these songs that kind of are on repeat if, if we, if we let them be. Um, and these are the kinds of feelings 
I mean, I'm calling them songs, but they're really feelings, right? That totally. that that then we can have tea with. As you're you can have tea about. with, and then when you you know when or a coffee or a beer or whatever you want to have with them, I also think that when it's done, then what it comes down to is looking at the actual information at hand and then figuring out the next indicated action. Like, what do you need to do? So if you're in a job that you're at forever and you're not going to get that promotion and you're like, let me look at the conversations I've had with my supervisor or my boss or whomever, see that they keep bringing in other people from other companies to take the job that I want. Well, if that's the information you get and you add it all up like a math equation and you've gotten through the feelings of feeling like you're not enough or no one sees you or it's never going to happen, well, maybe the answer is, I'm not going to quit my job, but I'm going to start looking for a job at another company where I can move up, where I'll get a promotion. Or if that girl isn't calling you back, all right, I've, she's canceled three dates on me. And what I've done, I used to do this game all the time. Hey, is it cool? I can't do Friday. Can we do Sunday? Yeah, totally. I'm cool. I'm cool with that. I wasn't cool with it. I was totally upset. Now I'll go, you know, Sunday I could do, um, and then if it happens again and she tries to do it again, I'll go, you know what? This doesn't work for me. I appreciate you. I, I, I've obviously expressed that I'm interested. Um, but I've reached out to a point where now I'm not comfortable anymore. Right. But the point is it no longer means I'm never going to get a girlfriend. The difference. Now be- it's just very simply like. That's not right for me. I don't. I specifically like this woman is not a woman that I want to be with. Yeah. Well, or this behavior is not something that I want to be with. That's right. I still have. I can still be stung by the fact that we're not that she's canceled on me twice. But at the same time, I'm like that doesn't work for me, and that has become with love relationships. That's a conversation that I now have that I didn't. Which is this: Boy, I'm attracted to her. I think she's cool. I used to be like, I hope I'm good enough for her. I'm hoping good enough for her. I'm hoping. And now I'm like, is she good enough for me? Or right? Not good enough. Is she right? For me, right, 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 and right. by starting to have that conversation, it take it, it it has changed the perspective of that too, right, right. You know, um, this has been incredible. Um, you've talked about so many tools. You've talked about program, and you've talked about therapy, and you've talked about um, even you know you've really like distilled a lot of your your processes. Um, one can hope down no you have um wait say that one thing again acceptance action it's acceptance awareness action acceptance awareness action another one another it could way also say be it awareness is, acceptance action right I, no it's awareness acceptance, acceptance action, action. Right, it's right. awareness acceptance, acceptance action. action another way people say it is uncover discover and discard uncover discover uncover, discover okay and, and discard so you, fe- you uncover the feeling, you discover it, you examine it, you look at it, and then you get rid of it when you're good. But you can't discard what you haven't fully discovered. Mm. That's my experience. And do you even discard it? I mean, doesn't it sort of maybe even just become something else? Yeah. Or, go, you know, it, but in terms of like the holding on to it. Yeah. You know, the holding on to the pain or the this or the that or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um. So are there any other like resources? Like I know you mentioned Brene Brown. Like are there any other books or podcasts or uh, YouTube episodes or classes or types of training, types of therapy? Like is there anything that you can. I mean, look, you know, I know this is not going to be for for anyone or everyone I should say but you know I've had students who've taken the first year of the Meisner work some who are still actors some who aren't and I've had people a hundred percent walk up to me and say I feel as if I'm a better person because of this work 
one of my students, who's a pretty successful actor, said to me, doing the Meisenberg changed my life because it made me a better friend. Because I realized prior to that, I never really listened to people. Mm. I was waiting for my turn to talk. How do you know when you're really listening? This is something that comes up on this podcast a lot. How, how do you know? You forget yourself. And what does that mean? It means that what you're saying in the moment is what becomes sort of important to me. You know, um, the way the way it manifests as an actor is, you know, if I get off stage and all I can remember is what you did and the look on your face and you made this move with your hand that made me so angry, then I forgot myself. You feel like you were, that's a sign to you that you were really listening. Yeah, and I feel like it's the root, it's the thing that roots you back into being in the moment. And what about if there's somebody out there in the world like who who needs to learn how to listen? Like, what do you recommend? You start by, I, I, this came up in my class last night. Somebody said, I'm really in my head and da 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 da. And I said, You're not listening. And, and he goes, I know, I know. And he has ADHD <laughs> and, and, and has a tough time with this. And he's like, I don't know why I do it. And I don't know what to do. And I, I, and, and I said, take a pause. Start by literally studying her. You know, like right now, your hands are, your cat's kind of like her two <laughs> pointer fingers are kind of clasped. And now she's smiling and, and, and giggling. And, uh, and there's a little flush in her cheek. And she blinked. And, you know, and, and cat is a super charming smile for those of you who have never seen her. <laughs> and, and like literally start at what may be an out side observation so that's that's the beginning of it just by sort of observing Mm. then i think real listening comes in when it becomes experiential but if you find yourself ungrounded unrooted just start by studying the other person i had a friend do this when i was going through a bit of a panic attack i'd gone through a pretty painful breakup with someone i talk about marriage with and and i'd go teach class Mm. and i called chris kelly who mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and he's a he's a meditation teacher. Mm. And I said, Chris, I think I need some tools to calm myself down because I am I'm in a lot of pain right now, man. I don't I, I can't I can't I can't teach my class. And he said, Where are you? I told him where I was standing. He said, Find something beautiful. I said, What? He goes, Look around, see something that you think is beautiful. And I was like, Uh, okay, I see something. And he goes, Describe it to me. And I was like, What? He's like, Describe it to me. And there was just a hedge, like a ficus hedge, I think it was. And it was really green. It was manicured in a really interesting way. And I just started telling him about what I was seeing. And like three minutes later, my nervous system had calmed down. Mm. I'd put my attention on something else. Mm -hmm. And in this case, something positive Mm. that I found positive. Mm -hmm. And it was a really useful tool. And I said, thank you, man. And he goes, of course. He goes, you can always do that. Mm. Find something beautiful. Describe it out loud to yourself if you have to. Mm. So I find that to be a useful tool. And I think that, and, and take, and that what that is, is that's me taking in, experiencing what I'm seeing. Right. And if I'm, and listening is, is the same, but there's, there's another level of intimacy because I'm taking in you. Mm-hmm not just an inanimate object right and then you go back to this like this unfiltered human contact um which is what brought me to being an actor. which is what brought you to being an actor word 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 okay let's all go have unfiltered human contact <laughs> as much as possible that doesn't mean unprotected no it doesn't we should all protect ourselves right. um let's listen as much as we can and um and find what you'd be thankful for. And, and find what to be thankful for. And, and also accept things that you're not. 
you know allow yourself yeah. to feel the feelings i think love it love it thank Peace you out, thanks josh for time that's our show thanks for listening Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at IamCatFoster and reach out to us using the hashtag ActingRealPod. For links and recommendations from this week's episode, visit ActingRealPodcast.com. Episodes go up on Mondays. Subscribe to the show and rate and review us. It would mean so, so much to us if you did. This podcast is produced by Hanami Sutton and Chris Mako with technical assistance by David O'Hara and music by Sean Hokinson. We love you guys. We really, really do. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.